it's not my job to be everybody's best friend. It's not my job to be everybody's sis, you know? And so if I have to lean into a stereotype to get my point across, I'm really fine with doing that because the alternative is that I sit in silence and discomfort for the rest of my life and I'm just not down with that. Hello and welcome to this In Conversation episode of Shameless. Today we're sitting down with the inimitable Flex Mummy, a DJ, a television personality, podcaster, author and all-round fantastic human. We sat down with Flex at her home in Sydney to talk about career, intersectional feminism and harnessing your own unique voice. Here's Flex. Flex. Welcome to Shameless. You've just taken a sip. Is that, what is that? Apple cordial? It's lime cordial? cordial, babes. Lime cordial. Welcome. Let's keep our sugars up. <laughs> keep our uncomplex carbs up. <laughs> I have to say, the minute we said we were coming to Sydney on Instagram, every single person, I mean, you were tagged in the post about a million times. They love it. They love you. <laughs> and how could they not love it? Look at you. You're like a vision. When we walked into your apartment, you said, oh, girls, you're dressed up. Sorry, I'm just in my pajamas. <laughs> and I refuse to believe that this is what you look like when you sleep. I slept in this. You're but I've taken incredible. a shower, so I feel like it's refreshed. Mm. If yes. I still had like morning sleep in my eyes, it'd make more sense to you. No, I, Glamorous. I can't say it. <laughs> uh, we start every episode in the exact same way, which is, could you tell us something you're reading, watching or listening to at the moment that you'd recommend to other women? Yes, I am listening to a podcast called Small Doses by Amanda Seals, and she is just incredible. Her whole uh, ethos is to explain complex topics in a really simple way. So she takes all that hubbub on the internet about like, politics or just like identity politics or culture or anything and just really dilutes it down to its most raw form. Her episode on narcissists versus people with just confidence, you're like, oh. That's just it. That sounds interesting. Makes much sense. Of course. I need to listen to that. Yeah, because yeah, you're like, um, how do I spot them? And she was like, it's very simple. This, this, and this. So anyway, I really recommend it. She'll change your life. She makes you feel smart. And it's so interesting because it's taught me that through the journey of being turbo, it is still an insular process. Like, you can be turbo all you want and people will still misinterpret you. She's the most clear person I've ever met. And constantly people mis- misread her, misinterpret her. It's insane. Mm, I think it's one of those things as well that no matter what you do someone won't agree with it and someone will hate what you do tell us what was your childhood like what was my childhood like it's so interesting what you ask because I feel like I've repressed most memories from like 16 and under just because I've I've got terrible memory so I don't really know but I remember my childhood was two things fun I had two old brothers who didn't include me in most things but let me (laughs) hang around them a lot so I felt like (laughs) you're part of the journey you know it's fun um so I felt like I was really across a lot of things like outside of my lived experience I was like I know what the WWE is about I know what this is about (laughs) and then I've got divorced parents but an amazing mum who just really over gratified me she didn't even realize to this day I'm like you do realize you instilled a lot of ego in me and she's like I don't know what you mean and like she would say things like you know if somebody's mean to you they're just jealous you know that right just with the most like serious deadpan face i'd be like "Mm, that's not true she'd be like "Mm, it's true that's awesome or if i was like mom i want to get my gap closed she'd be like why you're perfect i don't i don't really like it she's like that's interesting tell me more about that 
Like, you'd be like, um, is, let me. And she's like, I'm just going to say no for that one. Tell like, us more about your mum. What does she do? She's just amazing. She's just an amazing African-Australian woman. She came here like 40 years ago. She's a respite carer because she cares so much about old people. Mm. And she like, to, it's almost damaging in spite of her. Um, and she's just like a super religious, amazing woman who's like cool and young. Like had yeah. her first kid when she was like 16. You're kidding. Yeah. Had me when she was 20, 25. She's 50. So she's just like, she gets it. She's like traditional, a touch progressive. She's a good, good chick. How does having a very religious mother, my mum's very religious. So is mine. Yeah. How does that transfer to you? Well, it just makes us, right? Yeah. (laughs) It makes people with a really good understanding that the way you're nurtured as a child does have some integral effects in the way you see the world in future, but also gives gives you like this innate sense of objectivity. Like you've seen the way you can live a different life and become a different person. It's quite insane. I do commend my mum for not like forcing me into religion. Like, of course, she was like, "You've got to come to church. You've got to come to church." But at thirteen, she was like, "All right, if you like, you don't want to go, then like, can't really make you. Like, it's fine." I staged a protest yeah. once outside our house and said, "I'm not going to church." And I was I'm thirteen. Going, <laughs> mum. It is funny though because I I was also raised quite religiously, mm. and then I got kind of grew out of it by the time I was eighteen, nineteen. But I do agree in that it, it colors if it colors how you're raised, it's probably still going to colour how you see Oh, absolutely. And also sensitivity. I feel like some people who are raised in an atheist household or agnostic household have this disdain for religion where I don't have that. I can totally appreciate that my mum loves God Mm. and is Catholic and goes to church still every Sunday, but it doesn't affect me. You don't get mad or anything, and that's the frustration. But I also think it's one of those... I don't know. It's it's like it's critical analysis of being because while I can acknowledge that it's not my truth, why can I? Why would I denounce somebody else's truth? Like mm. as much as I'm not sure if there is a man in an object like in an inherent sky hanging out, I also don't know if there isn't. Like yeah. or there is. So it's kind of like I just sit within my truth of not knowing, and that's yeah. okay. Yeah, and like who are we to say which way it is? Yeah, I don't know. Tell us, did you always know what you wanted to do? I mean, you said your mum instilled a lot of confidence and sort of maybe self-assuredness in you. Mm. Did you know what you were going to do with that? Not particularly. I mean, everyone's like, you should be a lawyer. You talk too much. And I was like, <laughs> I'm going to be a lawyer. I talk too much. <laughs> and then I was like, fuck, you've got to like apply yourself to yeah. study law. And I was like, I don't like structured learning environments. I really don't. That's what I thought I was going to do until it got time to like, I don't know, year 10 or 11. I thought that's not really realistic. I'm not going to work any harder to be here. And then I was watching The Hills a lot and I really loved Kelly Catrone and I was like, fuck, I'll just do what she does. She works in PR. So I was like, okay, this is great. Why not? You literally picked a uni degree. Yeah. I was like, I'll do that. Thank you. (laughs) Because when I was Googling it, everyone's like, PR is about relationship building. And you're like, "Mm, it's great. I can do that. But before I did that, I studied fashion business and then I dropped out and then I studied PR and then I dropped out and then I looked into studying psychology again and I was like nah fuck not doing that you gotta like do like nine years to be a doc whatever it is it's too much work so that was the plan though I ended up working in a PR social media and digital agency for like maybe five years in total and I was like this is like what I'm gonna do I'm gonna do this PR thing and then I was like no this is fucking monotonous like I literally do not have the capacity to do this for any longer. Like, I just don't care. And I think fundamentally, 
if I don't care about something, I no longer feel obliged to force it. Mm. And I think when I was younger, I really felt like I had to put on the show, like be the person people want you to be, Lil, like be sassy, be funny, be accommodating, be agreeable. And I was like, fuck, I can't do a a lifetime of this. It's already too much at 20, you know? Mm. And so I did study PR and then DJing only happened because I was like, my life is so monotonous. Maybe I need a hobby. But then I like don't want to just carve out time because I was like into like, rust, like hustle rise and grind things I was like I can't just not work so then I became a door bitch and then I was like oh great there are opportunities here tell us about that PR experience though because did you sit in that desk and you think okay this is really monotonous and maybe this isn't it but did you think there's something bigger and greater out there or were you just not sure what it was going to look like yeah so sitting the thing about PR is I do like I would never not do it again. I just feel like it's the reason why I can be this person I am today. It taught, taught me so much about hindsight and retrospect and future planning and strategy and selling people yourself, selling people other things. Like you can't really pick up those skills anywhere. They're not really that intuitive until you're in an environment that encourages you to like spin mm. a little bit, to be a bit creative. I was about to say you seem super savvy mm, and yeah. I wonder if you did pick up that savviness when Absolutely. you were studying PR. Absolutely. Like I worked under a lot of uh, mm, manipulative women, mm. <laughs> but that was inspiring at the time because I was like, these are the Kelly Catrons yeah. that I want to <laughs> be. This is why I'm here. Exactly. So even in times I was like, this is fucked. I was still aspiring to be that person. I was like, I've just got to be better at this and then it won't feel as bad as it does. But in terms of, I definitely knew there was something bigger, but my, my, what I thought was bigger was just being better and having more money and getting paid more to do it. I didn't know that it'd be bigger in terms of like the breadth of the world being yeah, like I my do. oyster. Yeah. But for me, there was always a nugget of, if you want more, you need to go aspire to do more. So it wasn't as I was going to sit there and thrive in the mundane reality of my, my life. I was like, no, I've got to go seek out something. I'll get a hobby. I'll go get paid to do something else. And maybe that will open up my mind. So That's a pretty big thing. I know that that might come naturally to you but I don't think that uh, initiative to go out there and just find something new and make money from it mm. and in, actually enjoy it is something that lots and lots of people have I am interested I'm thoroughly uncool and I could never be a DJ and I want to <laughs> know how do you just decide one day I'm gonna start DJing well the thing is so when I was in this like clubbing environment I made friends with these promoters who were hosting like a club night and I was like oh you have like really bad business strategy like you don't have a business model or a PR strategy or anything savvy again yeah Yeah, I was like I don't understand why you do this like you just lose money every time you leave the house it's terrible and they're like oh you know I don't know because I think the the main thing was they had DJs from like 8 to 12 but people weren't coming to the club until 12 so it's like you're paying so much money and marketing for these essential essentially like quote unquote nobodies to play what is the point like if you're trying to elevate young artists maybe like promote that a little bit better anyway so it was from there they were like oh it's not that big of a deal it's not really a priority for us and I was like well it's not a priority I get paid to be here from eight to midnight or like seven whatever nine to midnight but I don't have a job technically while I'm here because I can't charge anyone to enter so I'm just like great no one's coming in and yeah and nobody's coming in so I was like if I just learn how to DJ can I can you just pay me to do it (laughs) they're like yeah okay like learn how to DJ (laughs) and then we'll pay you to do it. And so my brother who works in IT happened to know how to produce music. So I was like, can you just teach me a few things? But then I don't like being taught. This is the problem. (laughs) So I picked up a few things from him, a few things from the DJs in the club, Google, YouTube, downloaded some software. And I was like, I'm just going to take some time to learn how to do this in my own time. And then surely enough, once you get the basics, I wasn't good. I wasn't good for like 
a year maybe but I knew enough of the basics to be like let me just quickly like nobody's here anyway let me just practice yeah. so it was one of those things where it wasn't as it wasn't as though I wanted it so I did it I had to practice and learn and nobody wants to talk about the practice and learn phase like mm. I've been DJing for five almost six years now so it wasn't as though it was like I just wanted to do it and I did it it's like no I've been wanting to do it and doing it for years yeah so it's like yeah there are shortcuts and I took a ton of shortcuts I was like reaching out to people I happen to know people who own clubs so I can go into their venues and practice like people don't have access to those resources totally get it but there wasn't a quick like if you just download this software and do this for 12 hours for three months you'll be an amazing DJ did you love it straight away or was it a little more pragmatic than that you thought this is going to be an avenue for me to get into a heap of other things that I want to do I didn't love it in terms of just doing it because I wasn't good at it so I don't like doing things I'm not good at um but I did love watching my progress because some days I just get it a little bit better than others and that was really motivating for me because I'm I'm a turbo fire sign like everything is competition so I was like I'm getting good like I'm beating myself at this thing so that was really exciting for me um and then even when I was like starting I was getting gratified a lot and granted I was already going out dressed up really fun so everybody was really like validating of my presence in a club space anyway like she looks so cool she looks so great so when I started DJing it was like an extra wave of affirmation I was like this is great like you just People show up fucking love, <laughs> love this shit and then as soon as someone like was like oh we'll pay you like people outside of my circle like we'll pay you to do it I was like and now I get paid to do this this is incredible so it was like waves of little wins that made it fun for me but if I never got good at it if I never got paid for it if I never got paid a lot of money for it if it didn't substitute my lifestyle and give me the access to other things then I would have stopped ages ago yeah I am curious how is the lifestyle of a DJ what time do you normally wake up what time are you going to bed it's tricky because I don't I like I'm not like a, a title caps DJ anymore like I'm not in like the stereotypical typical club circuit anymore I don't have to be in the club like I don't DJ clubs anymore so I don't I don't partake in like average DJing. So it doesn't really affect my lifestyle. Like most DJing I do is in the daytime or early evenings on a yacht for some brand, at a club for some brand or like at at a venue for some brand. I'm not, you know, here's my door list and do this thing and come and here's a drink on me. It's like, I don't really partake in that. So I don't know. Life of DJ generally, probably shit. Your days are reversed. So you are at the club for maybe like 10 to 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. And then you're hanging out until 5 p.m. You get to six about 8 a.m. Get to sleep, sorry, at about 8 a.m. And then you you go to sleep until like 4 p.m. And then you wake up. It's just it's not really sustainable. Mm. But most people like love drugs and alcohol. And so that's a great gig for them and yeah. you don't like alcohol i heard on like a alcohol. recent podcast yeah so it was really desensitizing to be in that environment where i'm like fuck i can't even like get in it because you're the center of a party yeah. but people aren't engaging with you mm. you're the conduit to their fun yeah. so it's not even like you can get involved if you want to i mean some people do but if you've seen a really cooked dj dj like this is like what's going on here like pay attention <laughs> do so, your job do but, your job <laughs> when you say before you know some of my days i could be djing out on a yacht for somebody yeah. really cool or i'm um, doing things like that a conversation we were having just before we jumped on the mics was that you were saying i kind of understand now that my lifestyle is not as relatable as maybe it once mm. was you know not everyone that's following me is doing the things that I am doing and your life from the outside Mm. anyway is from what we can tell anyway quite glamorous how do you sort of do that and still have a really strong connection to followers when you don't feel like maybe you're all having the same experience 
Well, because I think fundamentally the things that I do to make money are the accessories to like my vessel. So like it's like the cute, fun things that add flavor, but it's not really the substance. And I think if you took all those things away, there would still be an element to me that is relatable in some way. So why am I over presenting the fact that I work in cool places or dress in cool ways? It's like, okay, let's take away the smoke and mirrors. Let's get to the crux of who you are as a person. And I didn't realize I had the responsibility to do that until recently, like less than a year ago. I was like, I don't really understand why i got to talk about anything. We're here for the selfies, people. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, mm, no, I'm curating an audience that like really prioritizes superficiality over everything. And that is like not what I would do. Because when I would meet them, I'd be like, oh, you are not my people. People would come up to me and be like, yes, queen, sass, get it, blah. And I was like, babes, no. Like, <laughs> you are not mine. We yeah. would not hang out. Like, I don't connect with you. I don't know what you see in me that you connect with because this like there's a dissonance here was it just a level of materialism that you couldn't absolutely because yeah. i was like we like nice things like we love a lippy we love some reality tv we love a bit of drama but also like i'm not in a position to put those things on a pedestal above like critical thinking or self-development or going to fucking therapy or having like really strong platonic relationships and like where are those narratives online like in between the selfies and the bikini pics and whatever it might be the holidays to france where is the conversation that matters Mm. and that's probably why your podcast bobo and flex has been such a delight for so many people and it is so popular and that you guys have the most interesting conversations about relationships dating and sex sex in particular Mm. I really enjoy because you don't just deal with surface level stuff like you're super funny and super engaging Mm. but at the same time you go really deep and you do think really in an abstract way about the relationships that define us Mm. what was the when you did make that shift to say, okay, I'm going to start saying what I think yeah. now and I'm actually going to make this space a little more political. Did people respond well? No. 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 Tell people us about did not that. respond well at all, if anything. But I think I, when I was at the point of making the shift, it wasn't motivated by anything than the sheer need and want to do it like I wasn't like I should probably talk about things that matter like I gotta step it up it's like no I have to like I actually cannot fathom a life where people who I in some ways don't respect because they've reduced me to this like really one-dimensional character feel as though like they're at the height of connection with me yeah it's not good enough so and it was this the tipping point was I remember maybe like a year and a half ago or something I was DJing at this event for this brand I work with quite a bit And we were in this venue where it was circle-shaped and I was in the middle on a podium DJing, lights everywhere. So everyone in that room could see me and I could see everyone. Any scratch of the behind noted. (laughs) And it was quite a small space, maybe like 150 people, so not that big. And I remember there were these, maybe like a group of five guys, very like blokey, ruckus, very tall, very broad, probably like going to the races, whatever it might have been. And they were just belligerent, like so drunk in this space, which really wasn't for them. I don't know if they were stakeholders of some sort or behind the scenes, but it just wasn't a space for them. And, you know, being a rowdy bunch and eventually one of them, like the the tallest, the biggest one came up was like, oh, like you're cute. Can I get a photo? And I was like, I'm actually working at the moment. So no, thank you. But "Mm, thank you. (laughs) He was like, no, please. I want a photo. And he like put his hands all over the decks. And I was like, no, like you're gonna have to stop so it's very mindful I'm like you know what I am a representative of this company on this podium in the middle of this venue I can't pop off it's not appropriate and then he like puts his arm around my shoulder and I was like don't touch me like it's not it and he was like no like it's fine don't worry like don't be weird and then at one point he's obviously drunk so he can't really hold his body weight and this is like a huge guy six foot five 
I don't know, a hundred and something kilos, like very large. So he puts his hand over my shoulder and kind of stumbles and then kind of uses me as a... Like, uses me to break his fall almost. Oh so he sort of God. brings his arm in and I'm in like a pseudo headlock and I'm like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, no, no, no. Like, you've got to get off me. So I'm like, get off me right now. Like, we're not playing. This is not cute. You need to get off this stage. He's like, oh, whoa, I didn't, I didn't mean it. Like, why are you so mad at me? Why are you so mad? So anyway, as he gets off the stage, he like knocks off something. Like, I think there was like a trophy or whatever. He like knocks it off and throws it off, makes this huge noise. And as this is happening, I remember looking at the audience and being like, who can really see this? I saw four security guards watching. Nobody did anything. I saw at least 10 people who were like, hmm, I wonder if she's okay. Hmm. All right, she'll figure it out. Just a lot of that sort of somebody else will handle yeah. energy. And I was like, okay, fuck it. I'm not going to stay here. Like, what is this about? I'm not doing this. So I went up to the organizer and I was like, hey. I don't know if you saw it or if you didn't see, but in this room, at least 20 people work for you. You have four security guards. If you look at the footage, some random man is going to come up to someone who's supposed to be protected in your space, be touched, be assaulted, maybe not maliciously. And then still after that, that man is still in there, still drinking, still having a good time. Who's responsible for that? who worries about me wow. in this space she's like oh actually that you know we can't really kick him out like you know he blah, whatever the reason was he might have helped fund the event he's very important he's a vip and i was like he's also an asshole yeah and i was like well then i'm gonna go because i don't feel like protected in your space what does it need like what needs to happen for me to like for me to be a priority here they're like we didn't mean to make, make you feel uncomfortable I'm like you but still you're not remedying anything you're not offering any solutions you're not saying we'll get his name we'll tell somebody else we'll make sure the security next to you Just escalate it in any way yeah i was like you know what i don't really care if i don't get paid for this i'm going to go like i don't really care so i was like oh my god now i feel because if you can imagine my activity on social media was very like passive like he's selfie like he's an outfit like yes whatever cool and i was like no i feel impassioned to say something i'm gonna i'm gonna call it out um (laughs) so i get online and i didn't have a photo that was what am i gonna do like here's me in pain no it's like 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 hand on the shoulder (laughs) here's a screenshot from the security footage (laughs) so i just took a photo of my self or whatever just the bathroom and I said you know usually I don't do this but I felt really impassioned to say a few things um I think it's really interesting that we talk a lot about elevating people in spaces and that people are made to feel protected and that you know in hypothetical situations if someone was in in pain or in danger we would step up and help them but I'm starting to realize and that was my sort of um naivety I'm starting to realize it's very idealistic and these things aren't happening xyz whole spiel when I tell you the comments were Oh my God, I love your dress. Where is your bag from? You look so cute. What's that venue? I love that bathroom. And I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Attention, please. Oh my God. This is what I've done. I did this. Like I really, honest, it was so bizarre because I'm like, oh my God, I've created a space where people can't even see past, well, can't even see me or see my experience. I only serve to be an extension of what they see in themselves. I want what she has. She looks pretty in that space. I want to wear that dress. I want that back. I want to feel cool too. And I was like, this is fucked up. So it was from there, I was like, oh, well, we're talking about some real shit. So it was like, it wasn't like a 180, but it was integrating more discussions, but it was like sharing that article that would have been too much. Mm-hmm. Sharing an article about assault, calling out that brand if something happened, just little baby things of being like, hey, do you really understand that when, um, you know, cat calling is on the spectrum of assault? <laughs> Funny. <laughs> things like that. And everyone's like, oh, okay, heavy. And so slowly but surely, it wasn't like everyone's like, we're on board. It was like a dramatic drop in engagement, a dramatic drop in followers. It was a dramatic mm-hmm up in everything oh well i just got to build a new audience and it took like two years but i did did you lose work no interesting because i do wonder and i think especially for young women in the public eye who want to be political and say what they think 
it's not particular. I mean, you're told it's not particularly brand safe. You've got to be careful on the things you can say. Mm. But I also think that a lot of people who exercise call out culture are doing it from a really vitriolic, uneducated point. I'm just feeling I want to start some shit. Let me call out a brand based on the headline. It's dr- the me, drama. The drama of it yeah. all, the narrative they can tell. I'm going to stand up for something and not do my research because who cares? And it's like, mm, no, it's not what we're doing. And for me, I wasn't, this is what I feel. This brand sucks. It was like, oh, do you think this is bizarre? Like, what do we actually feel about brands who don't really cater to people of color? Like, are you mm-hmm. actually concerned by that? Is that something we should really be fighting for? Or are there greater issues that we're not paying attention to? Are we really bothered like let's talk about the pay gap do you feel like you're affected by it in your industry why or why not is this a, a conversation you would have do you intersect your feminism do you know what intersexual feminism is these baby steps and that might, might not be baby for most people but i'm like mm, if you identify as a feminist and you can't have conversations on feminism i'm concerned mm. and so i'm gonna call it like i want to like bring that to the surface Coming up after the break, the future of feminism and why Flex is not about to shy away from the stuff that matters. But first, a word from today's sponsor. Feminism is having a huge pop culture moment, it seems, at the Mm -hmm. moment. And it's kind of cool to call yourself a feminist or be all about the feminism, which is great. But, I mean, if we're talking about intersectional feminism, do you think that feminism is intersectional enough? No. What do you think? No. What would you like to see change? I mean, we agree, but we'd yeah. love to hear I'm your point like, of view. <laughs> well, I think the frustration for me is the entry point into feminism. It's this sort of cool, trendy way to assert yourself as a female. I'm going to be a feminist. I'm going to call out some shit today. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be mad. I'm going to sit in my oppression. It's going to be terrible. Everyone needs to feel my wrath. And while that can be a good jumping off point to inspire people, it's become the end all and be all. If you're not... Um, rejecting all forms of traditionalism, if you're not rejecting men, if you're not rejecting the idea of uh, sitting into society or being agreeable or having um, characteristics that align with what a traditional female has, then you mustn't be a feminist. And it's a bit more nuanced than that. And I feel like the nuance is not being discussed because people aren't doing anything but aligning themselves to the title of being a feminist. Are you practicing feminism? Probably not. Being a woman isn't practicing feminism. So intersectionality, I think, and it's really frustrating because I see it a lot in the way Australian brands and media portrays feminism. It's it's all about equity. It's all about money and the pay gap. But a lot of women don't have equity. Like we don't have a stake in these corporations because we're not in those spaces. So when we elevate the pay gap as this end all and be all, it's kind of like, okay, when that pay gap is shifted, you've still left out a ton of women of color, a ton of trans women, a ton of non-binary people, a ton of sex workers. Like when do we get to their story? After we deal with you getting paid 20 extra cents to- Like the white women in accounting. Exactly. So the white women in accounting can like get their bit and then we'll talk about you and then we'll talk about about you and you're just becoming you're almost taking the role of the oppressor to get your power yeah so my thing I, I encourage people to understand your lived experience but that's integral like you'll keep doing that you'll always know what it is I'll always understand what it is to be a black woman in Australia but I'm never going to really understand what it means to identify um, as someone in the queer community or a sex worker or whatever it might be or even a white woman so like I need to sympathize or at least uh, make make a more measured almost it make a more like intentional approach to understanding experiences outside of my own I don't think people do that unless they're really called to and Mm. even then it comes from a place of people are changing out of a out of a fear of being called out not out of empathy you know everyone's like I'm just gonna not misgender you because I don't want any problems and it's like yeah that's a good jumping off point but let's go deeper like what are the real problems these people are having 
I am interested, a huge conversation that our community has been having in our Facebook group at the moment is around cultural appropriation. Mm. And we have asked a few in conversation guests about this, but I think it's just good to keep asking for different perspectives as well. I would love to hear, say a person listening to this has been to a festival recently and appropriated one culture, I don't know, pick any type of black culture that you want with their outfit. Mm -hmm. What's your perspective on that? How do you feel about cultural appropriation? Okay, let's put it out there. I have too been an avid cultural appropriator. You know, like I wore the kimonos as like a fucking festival garb. I wore a bindi. I couldn't wait to go to Malaysia and buy more things and show that I liked it too. And as soon as I realised there was a conversation around it, it wasn't as I was like, oh, I get it. This is offensive. I was like, oh, what? why do I feel so entitled to wear this even though somebody's told me it offends them? Where is that coming from? It is so much easier not to wear the outfit than to deal with all the backlash, someone being like, you've offended me, you don't understand, that has cultural significance to me. Just don't wear it. I'm more concerned with why people feel so offended when you've been told that it's offensive to someone. Let's talk about cultural appropriating black culture. So we can talk about hair all day. We can talk about how generally braids do have a cultural significance and in modern times, they're used as a protector for our hair because it's high porosity, it's high, it's very weak, it can't deal with natural sunlight very easily without being maintained a lot and having oils and moisture put back into it. So you use braids as a, prote- as a protective style, yeah? We can talk about that all day. The frustration about uh, people who don't identify as a person of colour wearing braids is that you have to understand that when we're in high school, we're told that hair doesn't fit with the dress code. And it's like, I'm literally protecting my hair follicles. It's not dress code, you have to take it out. Well, the alternative is that I take out this hair, my hair breaks with the sun damage, and then what happens then? This is not an aesthetic thing. It can be seen that way from your Eurocentric lens, but generally I'm just here to protect my hair. Or people in workplaces who are presumed to smoke weed or be creative because they've got cool hair, and it's just the way my hair goes. And I understand because white people generally don't have that experience nobody's saying hey do you mind dyeing your hair to brunette it's just like the whole blondes have more fun things is very offensive because we work in not-for-profit and we're not <laughs> trying to have fun here and you'd be like um it's not that wasn't my intention it's like yeah well it's making people uncomfortable that's insane and my frustration is nobody seeing that fundamentally what is happening here is insane <laughs> like don't wear the braids if you're going to offend someone or if you can't back up why you feel like you should have them yeah if we're talking about cultural wear I understand there's a fine line between appreciation and appropriation and appreciation is if you know yes I've got a black friend who told me or who gifted it to me or I went to like an Indian wedding and I was allowed to wear sari fantastic great but generally you've got to understand how it's inherently inappropriate and insulting to wear somebody's cultural wear as a costume when we're wearing zombie outfits as a costume and when we're wearing unicorn things as a costume you're essentially saying that your cultural narrative is a joke to me it's a fairy tale it's a myth it never happened and it's like "Mm, it's a little bit more to it than that just a touch more and i'm not asking the average person to do the research and find out how everything is culturally significant but if you're going to insist that you have i don't know the um the the agency to wear these things you have to be mindful of what you're perpetuating there's definitely a vibe i feel like in the white community generally that we do have an ownership over everything so as soon as someone goes actually that's not yours. It's this anger. Like, yeah. how dare you tell me what I can and can't wear? Or take something from me. I think yeah. it's that idea. Like, don't take something from me. And I get it because how are you meant to know? I don't understand 
how would it be like to not have that awareness that because if you got to understand I was born and raised in Australia so I had to learn my blackness secondhand it wasn't mm. as though I came out the womb speaking another language or mm. understanding that this food was like more cultural than this food it was just my lived experience and so when I was in year 10 so I was like what are you gonna wear for harmony day and I was like oh just some new American apparel disco pants I wasn't <laughs> seeing that I was seen in a different way I had to learn that these microaggressions were being placed on me so I understand that when you're in a place of whiteness which is neutral which is the standard which is the default to have your experience shifted for the benefit of somebody else who is a minority be like well, why i gotta do that it doesn't bother me you know mm. and i say to people all the time not all white people are oppressive you know not every white friend i have is like bringing me down <laughs> but every white friend i have benefits from white privilege like mm. every single one somebody will always see you as being the neutral the norm you have to understand the ways in which you will always benefit and the quicker you can understand that the quicker you can be like oh shit maybe i maybe i shouldn't you know feel entitled to say the n-word oh i didn't really get it or like maybe i shouldn't feel entitled to wear a kimono at a festival you're being pretty kind though i mean like saying i mean i get it it's not your lived experience but mm. don't you have a sense ever that you're just like how about everybody get out of their fucking heads or do you feel like you need to be more pragmatic in these conversations and be like i need to approach this from a more reason standpoint in order to get my point across do you ever just feel like that's kind of bullshit and you can't be bothered yeah it is definitely bullshit but i think that there are enough people who express it in the way that is aggressive first and that works in a lot of spaces Mm, but personally day to day i don't have the capacity to be a soldier i don't want to be a warrior i don't want to be like fighting the big fight it's exhausting i just want to make small changes or get people to understand because i do know that if i'm going to be approached with anger i'm not going to respond with agreeableness like if someone was like lil you can't wear that i'd be like whoa whoa calm down i don't really care i'm more likely to be like why do you feel entitled to that you know like why is that a big deal i'm just trying to figure it out no biggie because people need a chance to express themselves before they have to defend themselves are you concerned ever about the trope and the completely unfair trope of the angry black woman which a lot of people a lot of women in our facebook group have said this like i literally don't want to even have this conversation anymore because it's always coming back to me that i'm angry it's like Mm -hmm. i'm not angry i'm just passionate about absolutely the idea for me is like i was very i was a very complicit black person i was like i don't really get racism maybe it's just like you have a bad attitude i don't know because if you can imagine i live in lived in sydney's east which is majority just like white people you want to fit in yeah and also i didn't necessarily see the divide until it was taught to me you must be different you must have a different experience at home you must speak a different language so it was really took me a second to really understand why am i being seen as different because for the most part i had white friends i had asian friends i had black friends i could name way a lot more things that would come between us than our skin color our personalities our our upbringings all these things and so it's not my job to be everybody's best friend it's not my job to be everybody's sis you know and so if I have to lean into a stereotype to get my point across I'm really fine with doing that because the alternative is that I sit in silence and discomfort for the rest of my life and I'm just not down with that not everyone needs to be an educator we've got to stop looking at people of color or minorities as educators or authorities on everything because we've done that so far and if that that was working so well then why are we so confused about what is appropriative what is appreciative what's racist what's microaggression why can some people hang why can some people say the n-word why can't some people say it it's not that clear and so it's the discourse that's missing nobody wants to talk about it because white people are generally afraid of see- seeming like they're dumb and then black people don't want to feel as though they're aggressive or also dumb and so everyone's like well i don't want to be dumb i don't want to start this conversation it's too much and so nobody does and then we have this conversation it's a good point it's kind of like ah oh, let's put it in the two yeah, basket. I read in an interview that you did with the Urban List a little while ago and you said, I'm going to quote you to you. Love it. Just to freak you out. <laughs> it's really for 
frustrating having to over-enthuse my belief in myself to other people because it sounds like an inflated sense of self-worth, but it really isn't. I'm just really good at articulating what I can and can't do. I wonder, and I've been wanting to ask you for a while. (laughs) Amazing though, we do love that. How you walk the line between being a really confident female without ever being considered arrogant? Because I would say you seem incredibly self-assured and incredibly confident, but nobody would ever consider you arrogant. But I think they would. Really? And I think they do. Do you do you consider that then? Do you I just try to walk care. that line? Because it's like if I tried to change myself for everybody's perception of me, yeah. what would I be? A blank canvas with no personality, no depth, no substance. I've spent a lot of time, I think last year, really challenging myself to understand the difference between perception and reality. And it's like I could never really understand how I'm perceived. I could try and be the most polite, the most agreeable, the most straight down the line person and somebody will still say no, I just know all black women are just a bit angry and I can't challenge that. And like, what, why would I want to challenge that? It's a lifetime of work. And so, I mean, it would be frustrating to me if I didn't actually believe that I had the skills to do what I do. It would be frustrating if I would just talk to good game and didn't say or action the things I told people to do. It'd be frustrating to be like, definitely be a turbo ass bitch and dump him <laughs> if I wasn't constantly breaking up with people and being like, it's not good enough. But I'm very happy to take an L and be like, oh, I didn't actually realize that's how I was coming across. Or I didn't realize I was, wasn't as educated as I should have been. Hold on. Let me go do a quick Google and come back. But I mean, it's refreshing because we see you as someone who owns your shit you are confident and you know what you're good at and you know what you've succeeded in and what you've achieved and you're not willing to hide that which I think is really impressive I do wonder though why do you think you're such a huge success I mean we think you're a huge success a lot of people are attracted to what you do and what you say Mm. why is that what what what's attractive about you to so many people do you know what I've had to think about this and I think it's two-pronged. I think generally when we're looking at people in positions of influence or power, they are alien. They're the most beautiful. They're the smartest. They're the most talented. You just can't touch them. because of, So you do, you do other them. You say, okay, success is made for people who are just 10 out of 10 beautiful, 190 IQ, and I could never touch that. But it's like me, everyone's like, you know what? I might be prettier than her. She's a little bit overweight and she should get her teeth fixed. She loves herself, so I can love me too. And I really do think that's the thing because if you can imagine if I was on my like yoga bar and bay shit, everybody eat your greens, align your chakras, it'd be desensitizing to the whole world. Everyone's like, we fucking love that flex admits to not drinking a lot of water because fuck, I don't either. <laughs> yes, she's had Maccas five days in a row. I have two. And I think that's the dissonance because even if you can acknowledge that I live an affluent lifestyle that most people would not, you can still acknowledge on a basic level that I'm much closer to you or like worsely behaved than the average person. (laughs) And I think that is inspiring. And it's one of those things where it's like, I get it's inspiring, but also I'm just as good as I am terrible. It's not as though everybody who doesn't drink water can have skin like this. It's not as though everybody who doesn't exercise can still be deemed attractive to people they find attractive. Mm. We can't all get this, but I do. So You're super open about sex and dating too. I mean, Mm. particularly in your podcast. (laughs) We were talking about this yesterday, me and Michelle, because we were wondering, how do you be so open about that stuff? Because this could just be us being like very uptight generally. (laughs) But um, (laughs) if I ever considered like sitting in front of a microphone and talking very openly about sex, I would think about my parents, my siblings, like the people around me understanding like the minutiae of my day-to-day life and me naked. That's that's weird to me. How do you sort of navigate that? I know that might sound like a silly question, but 
I don't think as many people would be as open about sex as you are. Because we had the theory that maybe operating under a pseudonym or the name Flex Mummy, does that provide maybe like a layer of protection that it's not your... I wish. Yeah. <laughs> so we're just projecting. The thing about Flex Mummy is I only have the name because DJ Lillian would have been terrible. <laughs> like it's not as though... It's and, not a DJ name. Yeah, and yeah. it's one of those things where if I could change my act to Liliana Hankin and not have all my SEO cooked... I would, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter to me, yeah. but I think it makes people, it, like it, it gives them the onus to engage. Kind of like, what's this character I can well, lean fun into? And yeah. it's intriguing. It's but the thing about talking about sex, right? So I remember this time, maybe two years ago, this lingerie brand who also sold sex toys hit me up. Hey, we would love for you to take a piece, take a toy, talk about it. And I was like, oh, I, that's not my platform. Like I cannot talk about sex. I'm not comfortable with showing my body like that. No, thank you. You got the wrong person. And it was about a year and a half ago. I was like, okay, I do a lot of work in self-development. I'm constantly consuming theory of some sort, how to really make sure that I'm operating at my optimum. But I figured out a lot of what I was doing was performing what it was to really develop as a person, like reading the right books, having the right conversations, but I wasn't acting. I wasn't like, I was saying that I was being turbo, but really I was just role-playing turbo. I was being the loudest. I was being the most forward. But when it came to fundamental, the things that made me uncomfortable or the things that really required courage to do, I was going to gonna bow out of that one and so it was definitely a quick shift where I was like whoa my goal for I think mid last year was to start subverting things I was so sure about so I'm a picky eater I'm like I don't want to eat that I don't want to eat this I don't like that food and I was like you know what I'm just gonna try things I'm just gonna go to that restaurant order something I might not like in addition to something I do like just have a taste and it's okay and if I don't like it then I know for sure but I think I was operating on just hubris and saying like I don't like it I'm gonna stand up and no one's gonna challenge me and that's fine who who are you performing for so the conversations about sex and dating those are one of those things where I was like okay I'm in a position where I got out of a long-term relationship hey I'm trying this brand new this is a clean slate I'm a new bitch I'm gonna go into dating (laughs) with some shit I've learned and then I realized okay whoa it is not that easy to ask somebody out it is not that easy to tell someone you like them and then get rejected but how good is it when you do and you get results and so then it became like a competition of self I was getting results I'm saying shit I'm like you know pre- practicing what I preach and it's good you seem constantly competitive with I yourself know, even in the realm of dating. I was like why you want to do it Lil <laughs> step up Lil <laughs> it became this internal competition of oh I dare you be bad be turbo go ask him out you know go tell your boss you don't want to work here anymore go ask that pay rise do it I dare you and then I was like oh I'm doing it and things are just getting done it was insane. It's like, challenge that fee, Lil. Tell them you're not going to work for that, that rate. Tell them you want double. And then double came back. Tell that guy you like him. He likes you back. It's like the secret, but it's yeah. like the, the Lillian secret, version. But, but it's not based in spirituality. It's just doing. So talking about sex and dating was a huge challenge for me. In my inner circle, I would talk about it all day. But I wasn't, my friends were as um, explicit or as experimental as I was. So it wasn't so, that wasn't gratifying. Like, what am I going to talk to someone who's like, I never kissed someone on the first day about eating ass. It's not going to happen. <laughs> so I was like, fuck, Lil, you just got to do it. You have to be the change you want to see. I think lots of people will be listening to this podcast and thinking, okay, what the fuck? This woman is so successful. Like, she is a TV presenter with MTV, mm. DJ work, but also Instagram work, podcast host, like very glittery, amazing, aspirational job titles what career advice do you have for a woman who's listening to this and be like in 10 years time i want to be where you are do better like why are you gonna do it in 10 years <laughs> look 
Everybody feels like people and institutions are the barrier to their success. If I want to be where I need to go, I need to be around the smartest people. I need to, you know, go to uni for five years so I can hopefully be in a firm where I can study this or I need to, you know, study under that amazing person or or have that, do that course. No, you just need to start. And people don't start. People don't do. They're just so stagnant. Mm -hmm. And again, it goes back to performing. Everybody loves to perform what it is to want to succeed. you have the conversation all the time. You, you download the ebook, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. You download it. You know, you might do an affirmation every now and then. You show up to work on time. You love feedback. You know how to send an, an assertive email. You do all the right things, but you're not doing the thing you actually want to do. I always say that my therapist said that I had a preoccupation with wasted time and that I'm always looking to gratify myself, which is like tea but true. And she's like, you always take the big task and you push it away to the the busy little tasks that gratify you. And we all do this on like a different scale. So like people in nine to fives are always looking at the narrative of wanting to get out of the nine to five, like get out into the big bad world and be a freelancer because you get all this time and all this money. Do you really want to be real? Like, what do you actually want? What's your intention here? And people don't know what their intention is. I did it too. I said I wanted to be a DJ to get out of the monotony of my job, right? And so when I was a DJ, I was like, I want to be a DJ to share music and curate spaces. But then I was doing that for six months and it like wasn't that great. Oh no, like I just liked the access that DJs had. I liked the resources. I liked the perception of it. I liked not being in a nine to five all the time. I liked getting paid to be myself. And so it's like, oh, my motivations were very different to what I was actually doing and people get stuck in this cycle of failure because they don't know what their motivations are so they keep doing the thing that they're supposed to do I'll keep showing up it's like I'll keep taking a lower pay because that's what I should do I won't have the hard conversation because I don't want to be a bitch I won't tell anyone that I'm really dying inside Mm -hmm. like you know I'll show up to work when I'm sick because that's what a good person does it's like no that's a good person narrative but that is built in fairy tales it's a fable it's like get out of this narrative of what a good person would do what an allied person would do and just start doing and do it with intention and integrity stop role-playing what it is to be better people do it to me all the time flex i'm being turbo today i told a guy i don't want to see him be turbo every day bitch i'm not rewarding you for like this small small where you're gonna tell a common guy who's not worth your time that you don't want to see him congrats but let's do the let's do the big work that is such a fraction of your life you probably spend more time complaining about your friendships let's tackle those mm. drop them build some new connections be better and everyone's like oh Oh, this is a lot of work. Too hard. Like, I, I did it. And it's like, no, you just started to keep doing. Yeah. Everyone thinks that succeeding is binary. I'm just going to do it and then I'll do it, right? Like, I'm just going to do it and it'll be done. It's like, no, you do it to keep doing it, to keep doing it, to keep doing it. So we finish every episode the same way and that is with two questions. Mm-hmm. Firstly, what's next for you? Yeah. And secondly, who are the kinds of women that you have in your life that you actually look, I mean, your mum, but you also look yeah. up to? Well, look, my mum can get it, but also very problematic in a lot of ways. <laughs> she can hang, but also yeah. every time we hang it. Do you go into therapy yet? <laughs> <laughs> um, what is next? I'm releasing a book with a publisher March next year. I'm doing a lot of promo for that. Amazing. End of this year, which is sick. Um, Can you give us any hints as to what kind of book? It's going to be a pragmatic guide to getting shit done, like fulfilling your goals. I'm really good at that shit. I can just set a goal and do it. But I realized that I have to find a realistic way to put that onto paper and um, make it a bit more generic for like the every person, not a specific career of DJing or TV or whatever. And then people I look up to. Bobo Matjilla. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, that woman is insane. She just has a really great way of thinking laterally. 
I think we all think really literally about everything like A plus B equals C, one plus two equals three. And she's like, no, because time is a construct <laughs> and we can only progress so far based on our mind's eyes. So if we're not tapping into high consciousness, then are we even growing? Like, okay, far. I'm just trying to do better. But she is amazing. And Amanda Seals, I'm telling you, you spend a week following Amanda Seals' Instagram, watching every single one of her like tiny little Morse code stories. She uploads like 50 a day. You will learn something. I guarantee you will be a better person. We'll have to put both those yeah. Instagram handles in our show notes yeah. as well, of course, as yours. Thank you so much for My joining pleasure. us. You've been an absolute delight. And I think all of our listeners will absolutely love your podcast as well. I hope so. so. And this book too. Look, I, I, said I hope so, but I just know so. <laughs> if you don't align, then it's like, get on my level. <laughs> level up, you bum. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this week's In Conversation episode of Shameless with Flex Mummy. If you loved Flex as much as we did, please go and follow her on Instagram at flex.mummy and subscribe to her fabulous podcast, Bobo and Flex, on your favorite podcast platform. As for us, we will be on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. Bye, guys. Oh, hi. It's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week. Now, every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.